We stepped into chapter 10 last Sunday, and I dealt with uh, something that uh, is dealt with in verse verse 1, with the kind of the anchor of it is verse 12. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. Okay. And he basically saying, I don't want you to forget this. I want you to remember this. I don't care what happens in your life. This really needs to stay foremost in your minds. All right. Then verse 12 says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands, take heed that he does not fall. Okay. There's a possibility that Paul is dealing with of what I would call overconfidence. The church in Corinth was dealing with it. Last Sunday, we gathered together and I shared with you multiple different illustrations uh, of lost people who God was using, who became overconfident and God destroyed and embarrassed in multiple ways. I also showed you the church in Laodicea so that we know and we understand what it means to serve the risen King. I showed you the disciples on the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested and beaten uh, and then murdered the following morning, that they all said that they would not forsake Him. They all said that they would stay the course. They all said that they would hold tight. And yet what happened? Peter denied him, one betrayed him, and the rest scattered. Okay? And I shared with you an idea on that, that they went to the Garden of Gethsemane and they prayed. And in that praying, they would fall asleep. Christ, in great anguish, the last time Lucifer should touch him, was in great distress. And he asked his disciples, specifically the three that were the closest to him, to stay and be in prayer with him. And they continually fell asleep. Let me give you the lyrics of a song that will solidify this. And then we'll move into the assets of our freedom. This is, uh, the words are by Irma Davis. Have you been called to serve where others tried and failed? But with God's help and strength, your efforts have prevailed. Touch not the glory. Have you some special gift, some riches you can share? Or are you called of God into intercessory prayer? Touch not the glory. Has God appointed you to some great and noble cause? Or put you to where you hear the sound of men's applause. Touch not the glory. A watching world still waits to see what can be done. Through one who touches not that which is God's alone. Touch not the glory. Touch not the glory for it belongs to God. That is part of the issue that we're dealing with here. We have Christian freedom. And in that freedom, we have limits. And we have looked at two things that I believe in the last weeks and months previous to this text. And the two things that I want us to beware of is how does it affect others? Have you ever thought about that? Your freedom in Christ... And when I look at this room today, I see people of dairy, uh, differing variations of faith. Okay? One thing a child of God has been called to grow in. Only one thing. That's your faith. Okay? And to each one has been given a measure of. Okay? For what? For the purpose that God would have you. And I can look in even as small as this group is and say that there is a broad spectrum of diversity in faith. Those who have a stronger faith understand their freedom and they like to exercise their freedom. They love rejoicing in their freedom. But if you take someone who is weaker in the faith, this is the whole 14th chapter, 13th and 14th chapter of Romans. Those who are weaker in their faith tend to stumble and bump. And, um, and I, I'm going to use this term and I'm going to use it and, and I'll explain it, but they tend to be legalistic. Okay, they tend to, and what I mean by legalistic, they put a bunch of do's and don'ts. 
Okay, a person who is free in their faith, who is free and they understand their freedom in Christ, understands the boundaries. And Paul tells the church in Rome, don't, you who are stronger in the faith, don't despise the weaker ones. Why? It's very easy. Have you ever thought about that? Your exercising of your Christian freedom, how does it affect others? I have counseled with some of some on marriage and, and after they've been married and they're struggling in their marriage. And, and I can tell them, and I can tell you this glorious day, I can tell you exactly now how to never have a disagreement or an argument ever, ever again with a lost person or a saved person, with a spouse or a child. Guarantee you'll never, ever have an argument. You want to know the answer? Do nothing from vain conceit or selfish ambition, but in all humility consider others more important than yourself. Okay? Now go try that. Go on. You can do it. It's not that difficult. The Bible says it. It's true. It's the Word of God. No worries. So when you think about your freedom, how does it affect others? Okay? And let's be realistic. Is that difficult? This is interactive part. Yeah, some of you say yes, and some of you says, I'm still trying to figure out selfish ambition. <laughs> okay. Um, the second thing that we have to be wary of as the limits to Christian freedom is how does it affect you? And that's what I started in with last week is uh, the danger of overconfidence. Okay? And, and this happens. It was happening in the church in Corinth. Okay? It was happening. We see it happen in the church in Laodicea. But the one that hits me the hardest out of all the churches is the church in Ephesus. Okay? Because the church in Ephesus was founded by the Apostle Paul. Apollos was their second pastor. Okay, when I look at those two, it said Apollos, before he was saved, he was only strong in the scriptures. Okay, so what, what you get from that is Apollos isn't an amateur. All right, and Paul literally put him in to be the second pastor in, in the church in Ephesus. Okay, one of the other pastors that you will see in Ephesus is Timothy, a young man. Uh, Paul was preparing to die, okay, and in his death, he calls Timothy from where? Ephesus, come and help me. And yet, by 90 AD, the Lord Jesus Christ says, you have done a lot of great things. You've done some phenomenal stuff, okay? But you've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. Do you understand how horrifying that is? Have you ever read the letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians? That's one of the most massive letters I've ever read in my life. I mean, I read that and just, I can't decide whether I want to shout hallelujah. I don't know whether I want to cry. I don't know whether I just want to explode or what. And yet that was written in the 60s and within 30 years they lost their first love. You know what causes you to lose your first love? Overconfidence. Overconfidence. See, we have a problem. If you look at verse 12 in chapter 10. Therefore, refers to everything's here. I know we haven't dealt with it, but we're going to. Okay? Let him who thinks he stand takes heed that he does not fall. Okay? We need to keep an eye on verse 12 as we walk our lives. You know Why? Am I exercising my freedom or am I playing with lust of the flesh? Okay. And do you know the difference? And the Apostle Paul here begins in verse 1 and he uses Israel as an illustration. Think about it. The whole nation is cast away because they couldn't handle their freedom. Did you get that? The whole nation, a whole generation is cast away because they couldn't handle their freedom. 
All right. If you look at this text, verses 1 through 13, you will see that I've delineated this thing in three parts. One is the assets of freedom, the other is the abuses of freedom, and the other is the application of freedom. We're going to move into assets of freedom. And I really, really need you to think with me today. Okay, because there's a parallel that lays here that is so amazing that I know it is impossible for me to cover it. Okay, look at verse 6 for a second. Now, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they craved. All right. What happened to Israel in the wilderness happened for your and my understanding. Did you get that? How Israel experienced God's blessings. How Israel experienced God's privilege. And yet, they all perished in the wilderness. They never made it to the promised land. They were useless to God. Whole generation, gone. Useless. They were all disqualified for service. Okay? Please. Context, context, context. The context of this text has absolutely nothing to do with salvation, does it? Look at verse 27 of chapter 9. I discipline my body, I make it my slave, so that after I have preached, I myself will not be disqualified. Okay? I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. Our fathers all walked under a cloud and all passed through the sea. In verses 1 through 4, we will see a, a what I will call a plethora of, of assets. Okay? But I want you to note something in your Bibles. Okay? I pay attention to words. And if I see words repeated, I pay very much attention to that. In the first four verses, there's a word that appears five times. You see it? What is it? All. What would that imply? 1.5 million Jews is the estimated number that left Egypt. Okay? So, how many were under the cloud? How many passed through the sea? How many were baptized into Moses? How many ate of the spiritual food? How many drank of the spiritual drink? All of them. All of them. And yet... They were useless to God. Okay, the context is this race. The context that Paul is still coming out of is, one, is to win the loss, two, to strengthen and mature the saints. All right? The promised land was to be used by God. Okay? Did you know that? The promised land was to be used to, by God. We look at the promised land, the Jews going into Canaan as this, look, I have real estate. Okay? That is not the purpose of the promised land. The promised land, God was calling a community unto himself that the whole world would see. Ask yourself a question. Was God successful? Absolutely. Whole world's focused there now. Okay? But the Exodus is the keystone to it. I want you to think about something. We move into verse 1. It says, I do not want, the New American Standard translates this, I do not want you to be unaware. Okay? I do not want is one word in the Greek. It's a transitional word. It's the word gar. All right? Basically, that transition says that gar, using that word, that transition in says that 27 and verse 1 are all the same thing. Right? He hasn't changed his thought. He has just bringing it through. And he's bringing out the idea of disqualification. 
I don't want you to forget this. I really need you to know this. Please, please, Paul is saying, don't forget this. Forget what? Cloud and the sea and what in the world? <laughs> All right. That's what he says. Brethren, that our fathers, I like that. You know who fathers he's talking about? Our fathers. So he's now he's just speaking to the Jews. Is that what he's doing? No, he's not. Our fathers were all under a cloud and all passed through the sea. What's the significance of that? Well, we understand the sea thing, right? The Red Sea split and the Jews crossed on dry ground. Okay, and I've heard the liberals tell me what this is. You know, well, what that was is was this marshy area and the water was only probably ankle deep. And, 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 and they just referred to it as the parting of the sea. And I said, that's really cool because God still did a miracle because he drowned Pharaoh's army in an ankle deep water. <laughs> Either way you cut that bugger, God wins. Okay, whether it was the sea literally parted with a mile high of water on both sides, or he drowned Pharaoh's army in six inches of water. Either way, God did well. (laughs) But what is the cloud thing? And we all say, well, that's that thing they followed. No, man, I know what that cloud is. Okay, I've been in that area of the world just last March. March, they had just received snow in Jerusalem. Okay, which is kind of cool. They didn't think so. I thought it was kind of cool. Okay, they thought it was awful. Uh, and if you see it, it's a very, it gives a whole new meaning to high desert. But if you go south out of the Negev and you head down south of the Dead Sea, you start getting close to where the Jews wandered. Okay? You know what, what I call that? It's worse than a desert. I mean, it just grows rocks. Have you ever been uh, uh, down to Joshua Tree? In California or the Mojave, there's still bushes, right? I mean, not a lot. I mean, it wouldn't want, you wouldn't want to take a herd of cattle and turn them loose out there, right? That looks lush compared to south of the Negev. The Negev is dirt and rocks. There ain't a bush. I didn't see a bush. Okay? Now, let me ask you something. If you're cruising around with that with one and a half million of your closest friends and you're only going to do that for 40 years, what's the cloud going to be? Shade. (laughs) Trust me, you're going to be looking desperately for shade. So it was easy for them to follow, wouldn't it? If you're in the sun, you're not following. If I'm in the shade, I'm following And that's the picture that is given with the Exodus. I can follow. Now, in the evening, at dark, when it gets dark, in the winter, the desert gets cold. All right? And the cloud turned into what? Pillar of fire, which would be good. Right? I mean, especially if you're going to spend 40 years camping. Right? And I mean, and I mean, it's one thing to camp for 40 years. It's another thing to camp with one and a half million people. Okay, I'm imagining it somewhere in there, and we'll deal with it. There was some grumbling. All right. So I want you to keep this in mind because this picture is, you know, as the Exodus, the freeing of Israel from Egypt. Anybody know how long they'd been in Egypt? 400 years. You know what they'd been doing? Slaves. Slaves. Now, please understand what I'm talking about when I said slaves. Okay? They weren't employees. They were tools. Please understand the difference. Please understand the difference. Okay? It's like having a hammer... All right, and you have that hammer. Uh, I used to be in construction, and that hammer was my closest friend at times because it was what produced my income, it is what got my work done, it is what got my leverage done. Uh, Sometimes it even did my thinking, and it had this wonderful 
ability to have anger management in it and everything. I mean, this thing could do a lot of things, but it was still a tool. Okay, and there was times when the tool would get bad and you would discard it and you would get another one. Okay, the Jews had been in 400 years of being tools. They were not their own people. They had no national identity. Do you remember how they got there? Conclusion of the book of Genesis. Okay. Joseph had been sold into slavery and ended up in Pharaoh's house through a whole bunch of events and ended up with a hierarchy place. Next, Pharaoh came by, was a little bit nervous of the Jews because they were doing what? They were prospering more than the Egyptians, and so they put them into slavery. Think about this now. I want, you've got to run two lines on this. You, I, I, I can't, I'm going to try to keep going back and forth and cover all the bases, but I'm not going to be able to. All right? The illustration that is given here is for you and me today as Christians. All right? Up until that point, what was the national identity of Israel? They had none. They were basically, their identity was known as this, slaves of the Egyptians, tools of the Egyptians, okay? The Egyptian, now hear me really close on this, the Egyptian society dominated them. Okay, now think with me for a second. These things happened as examples for who? They were in a place where what was going on? The Egyptian society dominated them, ruled them completely. Where are you at? Where are you at right now? Every one of you at some point in time, and maybe even to this very day, your society is dominating you or has dominated you. Okay? You literally have no identity separate than you are a tool of the society you're in. Did you know that? Every one of you came out of that or is going to come out of that. You may not be out of it yet. The society calls the shots. Okay, now listen. From that platform, now I'm going to go back to Israel. From that platform, what hope of being a witness to the world do they have? Are you sure? Okay. Take it to the view of the Christian. Before coming to Christ, what opportunity, what ability do you have to be a witness of Christ? Zero. Zilch. Nada. It's impossible, actually. And yet God to the Jews said, it's time for you to be a witnessing community and I am going to see, I am going to set you free. Now then stop for just a second. Do we see any parallels here? Now listen, don't fall into the trap that you're Israel. Okay, I got, I can look at some of you and say, you ain't Jewish. All right. I've been with the Jews. I don't see anybody in here that looks Jewish. Um, just if you want to compare yourself and see if you're Jewish, get a picture of Bob Dylan and stick your face up to his and say, how do I look? Because let me tell you something. Oh, Bob looks Jewish. All right. That, that'll help you. If not, then go to Israel. You'll see a whole bunch of them. God says, I want to call you out as a community of my own. And guess what God did? He did it. 
He parted the Red Sea. He had a cloud that led them. This is literally the liberation of Israel. Now then, we have to do a Bible study. Okay? I need you to go to the left. One book. To the book of Romans. I need you to go to chapter 5 of the book of Romans. Chapter 5. Okay, now think in your mind now. They've got 400 years of captivity. They've got 400 years when all they are are tools to the Egyptians. Okay? Chapter 5, the book of Romans, beginning at verse 6, says this. Why we were still... What does your translation say? Helpless. Estranged. At the right time, what happened? For the godly. Okay? What ability did the Jews have to leave Egypt? I mean, they could have got up in the morning and said, Pharaoh, you know, this is getting old. Um, We've been promised some land of milk and honey and some stuff, and so we're out of here. And Pharaoh's workers would have said, Sure, go. Can you outrun the archer? Can you outrun the spear? Can you outrun the chariot? Go ahead. And all you'd have to do is have one or two take off running as fast as they can, see them struck down dead, and what would the rest of them do? Hang on nowhere. Pharaoh, I'm into the lentils. Okay, right? So what ability did the Jews have to get out of Egypt? All right. What ability did you have to come to salvation? The word there is that you were only helpless. Helpless. Read on. Verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. What does that mean? It doesn't mean he saw the goodness in you. Okay? I, I tried to get that out of that verse, and you, you just, you can persecute that verse for a long time and never get it to say uncle. Okay? It says, while you were a sinner. Now you got to understand something. Not only was I a sinner, I was also helpless. Christ said, I'll die for you. I will substitute for you. You see that? All right. Move over to chapter 6, verse 16. Yes? Okay. 6, 16. Now keep in mind where we're at in chapter 10. The exodus of the Jews. They're leaving Egypt. How's come? God said, it's time to go. Pack your bags. Didn't he? Do you know what sacrament that the Jews have came out of the Exodus? The Passover. The angel of death did what? Pass over the doors that were painted with the blood of that lamb. Ooh. Is there a parallel? So do you see the Exodus and the Christ life? Do you see what happened to Israel and do you see maybe what's happening to you? What assets do you have? Well, first and foremost, I know that the angel has passed over me, the angel of death. Look at chapter 6, verse 16. All right? Do you not know? I like that phrase. Okay? Because in the original language, it's, it's worse than sarcastic. <laughs> and I, I have that little kind of spiritual gift of sarcasm. That's all right. Paul did too. All right, I'm in good company. But he, he says, do you not know? And it literally says, yo, you've been around long enough. You know this, so why do you act like you forgot? That's Terry's interpretation. Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as a slave for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Stop right there. Question, was Israel a slave to Egypt? What was their options? Oh, yeah, they did. Die or slavery. You had options. 
Okay? What were you? And you had an option. You could die or slave to sin, which you were going to die anyway. Look at read on in verse 16. <clears throat> slaves for obedience. You are slaves of the one whom you obey. Now, this is the one that just really bugs Americans. Okay, because we have unions. We have... You know, equal, what is it, equal opportunity, employee, and all the rest of it. But you know what? This text says you're a slave. Okay, whether you're American or not. You are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin resulting in death or in obedience resulting in righteousness. Got that? Do you see a picture? Do you see a parallel? Listen, if you're a Jew and you're hanging out in Egypt, okay, and you're a slave, you're, you're, I'm a brick builder. I make, take mud and straw and I make bricks all day long, okay, seven days a week, all right? That's just what I'm going to do. That's all I'm going to do, all right? This guy comes out of the wilderness, Moses, and he's got a bright idea. Let's go where you can be free. Let's go to a place that God has promised. Let's go to a place where God will only bless your proverbial, oh, they didn't have socks, sandals off. And I'm going to take you there. Okay, what's your response? (laughs) Then he does a whole bunch of miracles. And the firstborn of Egypt dies. What's your response? But you don't have to. You can stay in Egypt. You'll have job security because 1.5 million of your co-workers are going to leave. So you'll have all kinds of work. Right? I mean, you don't have to ever, never, ever worry about being laid off. But is there not an act of obedience there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look at verse 18 of chapter 6. You have been freed. Having been freed from sin, you became what? They were slaves to the Egyptians. They became slaves to to God. Okay? The obedience was, I'll follow Moses. Says they were baptized into Moses. And I'll deal with that in the weeks to come. What does that mean, baptized into Moses? But they had a leader. God said, here's your leader. And their response was to do what? Follow. Follow Moses. Follow Moses. Look at verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you present your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in what? Or holiness. Okay, who are you following? See, this is the one that got me in trouble in, in Christendom. It doesn't take me very long to find out who you serve. Very simple, actually. It only takes usually within 10 or 15 minutes. In the course of a conversation, I can usually discern who you serve. Okay? What do you talk about most? What is your biggest focus? That's who you serve. It's that simple. Okay? Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Okay, that would be back to the right. You can go through the Corinthian letters, through Galatians, and then you're going to drop right into Ephesians. You need to keep your finger here because I'll go back to Corinthians here in a minute. But I want you to just keep your finger here in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Remember what I'm talking about. Assets of freedom. Assets of freedom. You were once helpless. You were once ungodly. You were once sinners. You were once people headed on a a broad avenue of eternal destruction. 
Chapter 2, verse 1 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Okay, what ability does a dead person have to overcome its sins? None. What ability does a dead person have to correct itself? None. All right? And Paul writing the church in Ephesus says, You were once dead in your trespasses and sin. Look what he says next. This is kind of a cool statement. In which you formerly walked. Dead man walking to eternal damnation. You walked. You know what he means by that phrase? I could see it in you. Okay, when somebody's walking, you know that they're walking. If I am looking at a person who is walking in their sins and trespasses, it is very, very evident. I can see it. That's what Paul said. Paul said, you used to walk in that. What, how does it look, Paul? If I was thinking, am I saved? Okay, how would I know? Look what he says. Right there. According to the course of this world. You look like the world. You smell like the world. You talk like the world. Guess what? You're of the world. <clears throat> Are the things of the world most important thing to you? That's up to you. Okay, according... Now this is the one I always... Oh man, I always leave this one out when I'm dealing with lost people because this one here... Just flat out gets me in trouble. Okay? You, if you like the world, the things of the world, they are predominant in your life, then it is according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Do you know who that is? That'd be a devil. Okay? So let me make you, let's see if I can make this as clear a picture as I can. Okay, I like clarity and simplicity. I used to be a servant of Satan. Now I am a servant of the Lord. Well, I didn't serve Satan because I... Yeah, you did. (laughs) Sorry. Who runs the world? Listen, let me give you a heads up. Satan's religion is not devil worship. Then people embarrass him. <laughs> they do. He is disguised as what? An angel of light. That isn't the exorcist. That isn't the guy with the pitchfork and the horns. Then people bother him. To him, they look silly. Why? The Lord says he was the most beautiful angel. I'm having a problem here with the green pea vomit and stuff like that. Okay, that just doesn't that beautiful to me. All right? So, his, if you really want to look at it, Ezekiel speaks of it and he says, I will be the most high. I will be above. I will be this. I will be that. Satan's religion. Humanism. It's humanism. That's all it is. Why? You give me the information, you give me the the stuff I need, and what will happen? I will get her done. You know what the church has bought? The religion of Satan. Do you know that? Lock, stock, and barrel. Why? They're looking for Bugs Bunny theology. You know, the horns, the pitchfork, the tail. That's what they're looking for. You know what? I think he's a professor or president of seminaries. He knows more theology than you would ever dream. He knows the Bible better than anybody in this room. And he can use the Bible. Probably better than anyone in this room. That's the ruler of this world. That's the ruler of this world. Here's a scary thought. I just thought about this. I'll throw this one out to you. This is free. Cost you nothing. 
Okay? If you read the conclusion of the age, okay, there's two Babylons mentioned. One is Babylon, a religious system. The other one is Babylon, an economic system. Okay? The religious system collapses. Okay? What does the world do? Babylon who? They pay no attention to it whatsoever, do they? You read your Bibles. Read your Bibles if you don't believe me. But there's a Babylon economic system, and when it collapses, what does the world do? The whole world mourns. The whole world grieves. Okay? I only know one economic system that has that capability today. Capitalism. Okay? Now then, anybody know where Babylon is? Iraq. Iraq. Okay, America, you now own Babylon. Feeling good about yourself yet? I can give you a scarier one than that one that you've not heard on the news. Hanukkah started last week. You know what was unusual about this year's Hanukkah? The Council of the Seventy went on top of the Temple Mound and consecrated it. You know what the Council of the Seventy is? Sanhedrin. Just information. Who do you serve? The world? Let's move on. Chapter verse four through ten. God being rich in his mercy gave great <clears throat> his great love, which he loved us, even when he was when we were dead in our transgression. You want to see a awesome picture of this. What does it mean to be dead in our transgression? The book of Hosea paints a beautiful picture of this of an aborted child cast into the field which at that time was Israel, and he goes and makes that child a princess and dresses her in royalty. That's uh, your homework assignment. All right? Um, Even though you were dead in your transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He has raised us up with him. You You know what's amazing about that verse? It's present tense. You know what that means? You're not being raised up with him. Have been raised up with him. And where are you seated? Where at? In the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace towards us in Christ Jesus. Okay? Stick your finger in there. Hold that place. We'll pick it up again. All right? Back to our text in Corinthians chapter 12. I'm looking at assets. All right? And we'll pick it up. I just want you guys to be aware of this. I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to forget about this. You really, really need to remember this, brethren, that our fathers all were under the cloud. All passed the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate of the same spiritual food. All drank of the same spiritual drink. Or drinking from the rock, the spiritual rock was followed them. The rock was Christ. Okay, listen, this is the foundation stone for Jews, for Judaism. Okay, you need to understand something. What was their law at this point in time? What was their law for ceremonies, rituals, and sacrifices? Hadn't been given yet. All right, and it wasn't until they were drawn out where God could say, look at what I have done. Now, world, look at this people. And this is me. They communicate to the world me. What does verse 6 say? These are examples for us. As Christians, in the sense of faith, They are our fathers. I'll just give you this verse, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed descendants. 
Well, Abraham was a Jew. No, he wasn't. I love Abraham. Why? He is a bigger Gentile as I am. I think that's cool. I like that. Now, don't run out and tell your Jewish friends this. Okay? You think there's war in the Middle East. There'd be war in your neighborhood. Okay? But uh, just don't do that because they'll get ticked off. You need to understand something. Abraham was saved by faith. Faith in what? The Bible? Faith in God. He's 400 years before the law is given. You've got to understand that. Yet he still believed. Okay? So, in a sense, those who came out of the Exodus are our spiritual fathers. All right? All were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All right? God is freeing his people. Why? So that they will shout to the world what is going on. Okay, let me ask you a question. Christian, does that ring a bell? Their election out of Egypt was to be as a national witness. That's what Paul is referring to here. It's not a picture of salvation. Okay? It isn't that everybody who left got saved. All right? If you were saved by walking through the Red Sea, we need to get an airplane. Because <laughs> we need to go get saved and get through the Red Sea. Okay? How did they get saved? They believed God. Okay? How did Abraham get saved? Keeping the Bible? No. He believed God. Let me tell you something that's really interesting about this text. Did you know that in Egypt, in the 400 years of slavery, some were saved? (laughs) Did you know that? Did you know that some were saved in the 40 years of wilderness? Did you know that some others got saved in the promised land? But the nation had a testimony of who God was. The Exodus was the calling out of a witnessing community. What I mean by witnessing, witnessing community is not handing out tracts. Okay? Witnessing is not uh, 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 having a revival or a, a, a tent evangelism or standing down on the corner of Colfax and whatever and, and sharing and yelling at people as they drive by or whatever. That's not witnessing. Witnessing is my life is being conformed into Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe me, come walk with me. That's witnessing. That's witnessing. Okay. What's the church here for? Let me show you what the church is here for. Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> 22 and 23. Okay, now remember, in their obedience to leave Egypt, to move from slavery, they had, were baptized into Moses. Now, I'll deal with this more intense next week, but I want you to think about this. Okay, baptism to the church in Corinth, did it save you? What did baptism do? With who? With Jesus Christ. So when they followed Moses out of Egypt, and he uses the term, you have been baptized into Moses, what does he say? What is he saying? You are identifying with Moses. Okay, now let me show you something here. Verse 22, he put all things in subjection under his feet and he gave him head over all things to the church. Believer's baptism is saying what? I identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. If he put all things under his feet, under subjection, then what is Jesus Christ in my life? 
He is the ruler. He is the authority. He is the dominating figure. He is my mentor. He is my counselor. He is my comforter. He is the rock of ages. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is my all-consuming father. He is all to me. He is my all in all. He will only be my all in all. I have need of nothing else. He is my sufficiency. He is the source of my strength. He is what I walk in. He is what I talk in. He is what I think about. He is what I draw upon. He is what all the world will see in me. Why? Because he put him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. And here is the most mind-boggling text of my life. The body, which is the church. What is it? What does it say? Some of you don't seem to be that convinced of what your Bible is saying. The church is only the fullness of Christ. Did you get that? You know what that says to me? There's no plan B. Paul says the exodus is God calling a people out so I can give them my word so they know who's they. The world knows me. I have a new covenant. The cross of Christ. And it is a fulfillment of a picture. What was the picture? The lamb that stayed with you for six days, you cut its throat, bled it, you ate it quickly that night with as many people as you can, what you couldn't take, boom, throw out, take no leaven of that society. All right, take nothing from that society now. Come to me, come with me. I am your sustenance, I am your identity, I am your power, I am everything you shall ever need. Come with me. Why? Because you will be the fullness of Jesus Christ. And all people will look at... What will they look at and see the testimony of Christ? Focus on the family? The navigators. What will they look at? The church. I just, that's just cool stuff myself. I, it just kind of freaks me out. I just read that and say, wow, cool. It's taking a people in slavery. He's taking them from a point where they could not do anything. And he is putting them in a place. It's set a pattern that the whole world will see. God is calling them out, setting them up as an independent, self-identified, godly community. Why? That the world could and can look at and say, that's what the people of the Lord look like. God has called the church to be a witnessing community. And the first thing that you need to understand is you've been taken out of bondage. You have been set free in a world that is nothing but bondage. To be a communicating community, which means I must share truth. Please grab a hold of this. Why? It's a unified witness. It doesn't change. I had a meeting this week. Now, this is bizarre. There wasn't a Southern Baptist pastor in the group. I met with uh, 11, 12, 13 of us, 13 pastors from as far as Pueblo, um, Woodland Park, Fort Collins, Golden Denver, and some guys from the Springs. And you know what was amazing about the meeting? Absolute unity. Absolute unity. Completely unified. Completely unified. And it was kind of bizarre. But 
In Ephesians 2, he says this, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Why? You can see it. You can know it. Why? Who prepared it? God did. If God prepared it, then it's only supernatural. If it's supernatural, guess what? It's only eternal. Guess what? You can't touch the glory. You can't touch the glory. You know what? Paul, back to your text in Corinthians 10, says, the danger is what happened to Israel would, could, can, has happened to some of us in this room this day. The good works that God created beforehand, you do not walk in them. And I wonder, I'm kind of scared today because I wonder how many as they will die in the wilderness disqualified from being a part of the witnessing community. Now, I, got, got to, I want you to be emphatic. You've got to be emphatic about this. This is not salvation. This is disqualification from winning the lost and strengthening the saints. You will possibly be deemed useless. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about your service. That's your context. God couldn't use them. Two guys, Caleb, Joshua. That's it. Now listen, where did Moses die? Keep this in your mind. Where did he die? Was Moses saved? Boy, yeah. I'm convinced that Moses was saved. So do you see what I'm trying to get at? The text has nothing to do with salvation. It does deal with service. And Paul says, these people got a freedom, didn't they? Free from the world. Cut that bugger, severed it clean. And what happened to him? They became useless. Why? They couldn't handle their freedom. The freedom handled them. So first asset of your freedom. You've been freed. From the world, the principality of the world, from sin, the effects of sin, and the power of sin. Okay, it's all around you, but you're free, you're free, let's pray, Lord, wow, to think that we gather here as the fullness of Jesus Christ still is, uh, I can't get my arms around that one, and my Lord, to think that your church, your bride, that you presented beforehand to your son, huh, Holy and pure and chaste. I I can't grab that one either. Yet, Father, that's your plan. Father, I lift these precious souls to you that none of them would be disqualified. Yet, Father, I confess before you at this moment, my heart is heavy because now I know that I shared it with these people. They are now responsible for that truth. Father, help them guard it. Father, let them take heed if they think they can stand. Father, let me take heed lest I think I can stand. Father, let none of us run in this race to disqualification. Father, I beg you for all who have heard this message. That Lord, none would be disqualified. And that, Father, each, no matter how young, no matter how old, that each would run in such a way to bring glory to you.
and that each would finish strong. To you, my Lord, my Savior, in Christ's name, amen.